Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we discuss Charlotte Wells' beloved coming-of-age story, After Sun. We dig into how the film masterfully handles such delicate subject matter and uses meta techniques to showcase the power of memory and reflection. I don't know what energy level to start out this episode. <laughs> I don't either because we're in a, we're in an interesting position. Chris usually doesn't know what I think about a movie. This time I don't know what Chris thinks about a movie. <laughs> That's very true. This is one that you watched uh, a while ago that your first time wrote about it. And I just watched for the first time ever. Yeah, which I'm I'm surprised. I feel like this movie was such a big deal in 2022. It feels like the kind of movie Chris Lambert would be a part of and have an opinion on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I missed it. Um, I, when did it do its U.S. premiere? It came out in October. Yeah, I was watching movies. I was writing about them. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it's, uh, um, it's you know, it's, I mean, it's heavy subject matter. So in that way, it's not the most inviting movie. But at the same time, this is the kind of movie that really, really, really speaks to people. Um, people have formed a strong attachment to it. It reminds me of past lives in that way, actually. Yeah. Um, so it, it there is a um, a vibrant energy around this movie, you know. I was thinking about past lives a lot. Me too. Uh, I feel like past lives is a bit more digestible than this in some ways, or a lot more obvious about what it's doing. Not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. There's still depth and nuance to past lives, certainly, but just, I think people come away with a distinct, understanding of what happened and why it happened and the overall themes there's subtext but it's more there if you really want to dive in where i think after sun has is a lot more reliant on subtext and that people could come away from this movie being like i get the father-daughter dynamic and some of the implications but what (laughs) right what was that what was this other thing yeah that's why i really enjoyed revisiting this movie because that kind of was my feeling the first time I watched it. It, it. You're totally right about past lives and that it's very clear in what it's doing. It's not exactly hiding anything. And the movie really requires you to be there in the moment with people and to really just take in what they're saying and how they're looking at each other and the energy they're sharing. Um, it's just something you're really a part of and it's very intimate where after sun not that it's not intimate, like the what the filmmaker is expressing is very intimate and personal, but 
the way it's filmed, it, it feels more like an art piece or something. Like everything represents something, you know, things are not spoken out loud. Um, there are a lot of like long looks and scenes of just things far away happening. And um, it's more of a mood and just this kind of, uh, I mean, the whole movie is somebody reflecting on a pastime in their lives. So like you kind of have to look at it in that way. It's somebody like piecing something together. It's almost like the filmmaker doesn't even know what the story is about. <laughs> like they're trying to figure out what it's about too by going through this process. So in that way, after Sun, uh, that's why I liked revisiting it because like I knew everything already kind of going in and um, I didn't need to spend time figuring out like little details. Like I knew all that so I could just kind of fall into the art of it and what it was trying to say artistically. Yeah, it's definitely easy to fall into. It's it's very drinkable rather than being off-putting. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, oh, so what was your background with this movie had you been hearing about it before you watched it mm -hmm. what had you heard what were your expectations going in it, it's i think i mentioned this in the past lives episode that whenever it's an a24 project i'm a little <laughs> like i take my time with it like i choose the right moment i don't know if i because i don't while i really like a24 i like a lot of their movies we talk about past lives i love that movie um I sometimes don't connect with them in the same way everyone else seems to. And I, I, I kind of approach this movie in the same way that I didn't know if it was going to have that because the reaction to this movie is just so strong and people really connect with it that I'm like, I kind of get nervous in the sense that, okay, like this is heavy subject matter. This is the kind of stuff that really speaks to people. So if I don't like it, <laughs> I'm going to be looked at as a villain or something. Um, but I, I was interested to watch it, and uh, my wife and I watched I, I probably just watched it because, you know, I'm trying to keep up. Last year, I was trying to keep up with new movies, and this was a big one. So I was like, it was just one night we chose to watch it. And, uh, yeah, I watched it at home, and I really, I enjoyed it. It was a movie I liked more and more the more I thought about it. Um, but it wasn't a movie that, like, hit me exactly in the same way it seemed to hit everyone else right away but over time like the more i thought about it and especially as i wrote about it for the site um like i said it's like an art piece like you start to like look at different bits and pieces of the film and realize like how things connect um so in terms of like the blueprint of it there's a lot there and there's a lot going on and there's a lot being said um and would a movie like that with a movie like that it's uh it's tough because you know it's one of those movies where I'm like okay i like it in retrospect but do i actually like watching it like am i experiencing all of these different messages and ideas while it's happening and and feeling it and this time watching the movie um that that was my big question like am i going to be feeling all that and i and i definitely did i still don't know if i love it as much as everyone else but i definitely see why people love it and think it's a complete work you know i, I think yeah. everything connects in a way that i'm like okay like this wasn't like thrown together this isn't like a mesh of ideas that aren't quite working you know everything's very delicately done and it succeeds in the end yeah i would absolutely agree with that it's not lacking in <laughs> uh 
polish in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I remember the posters. I don't know if you know, getting real for a second. All right. I don't I don't know if there was a uh, a recoiling from the movie a little bit just because from maybe the trailer or the poster, there's just an intimation that I had or had heard that like something was going to happen to someone. And having lost both of my parents early at, you know, 20 years old and 25 years old, I think that there was probably a part of me that was maybe a little nervous Mm -hmm. about the movie and some of the feelings that it could bring up. And maybe with that in mind, kind of pushed back from it just a little bit. Um, So when finally watching it, after seeing how much people love this movie and still not quite knowing (laughs) which direction it was going to go, um, I was really curious to see because I had no idea about, you know, the style of it. Mm -hmm. I knew that people really love the performances, but... I didn't have a good concept going in of what the tone was going to be or how dramatic, not dramatic, how subtle or not subtle it was. And I was pretty surprised by how delicate it is, mm-hmm. but also just how artistic it is and its vision. Some of the shots that it's going for are so unique uh like charlotte wells i think has a has a very wonderful eye for all of this and the cinematography was done by gregory oki it's just a beautiful movie in that way and really my pacing when it comes to Mm -hmm. shots we've talked about that uh, at length Mm -hmm. with me really enjoying being able to steep in some of the moments um so i i enjoyed the kind of like pacing and meditation of it and just the way in which it was able to focus on each of the characters in different ways so i i was very pleased and surprised uh while watching it yeah like that's all definitely true and in that way it feels so assured like it's very confidently done and because it's not easy to like steep in a moment like that you can't just like steep in nothing there has to be meaning and intent and has to be going somewhere and you have to be learning something and your actors have to work well together like a lot of stuff has to be going right for all that to work but at the same time like i think what i really noticed in this viewing and i already said this that is that it does also have that sense of a filmmaker trying to piece something together trying to figure out something alongside you it's it's all it gives those steeping scenes just a different energy i think that it it kind of feels uncomfortable in that way that like we don't really know why we're here like not much is really being said yet everything's being said like what uh column is saying right now is so important when you know in retrospect that he's gone and that sophie can't talk to him anymore there's just a very heavy air about it um that i think makes this movie really unique and it's not something that could really be communicated in a trailer. It's, it's, uh, it's just a very interesting aesthetic that I don't think 
really, really used to. Like we already talked about past lives and how that movie has an interesting aesthetic and maybe like on paper you could say they're similar, but they're not really similar at all. Like after sun is like so quiet and secretive and it's not even secretive. Again, it's just like, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know what's happening. Like you wish you want these people to talk to each other. You, you wish Colin would tell Sophie like what he's feeling, but like he can't, he doesn't know how it's, uh, it's just a very interesting aesthetic to capture for sure. Yeah. And that piecing together, I think that's maybe the biggest difference. I mean, obviously the movies are focused on two different parts of life, past lives and after sun, but in terms of tone and the confidence, like both Celine song and Charlotte Wells are clearly very confident filmmakers with distinct artistic visions. But I think the sense I got was that Celine song had lived this come to terms with it and was at mm. a point in her life where it was the best story for her to tell as a first film where the impression I got from Charlotte Wells was that, as you said, she is still working through some of these emotions right. that she might have. Uh, she had said that the movie was autobiographical, um, emotionally autobiographical. So I could see it having this kind of energy of trying to work through the emotion she has with you know, her dad or a, a parent figure in that way and trying to capture that, explore it, find meaning from that and find the catharsis in it, which is essentially what we're seeing with the, the strobe light sequences. Mm -hmm. It's representing this adult version of Sophie trying to work her way through the darkness of understanding her father and reach him, connect with him and find that forgiveness, that understanding, that sense of closure that she has maybe struggled with in her adult life. Um, yeah. With the implication that he's gone and having that be this little subplot that's pieced through it gives the movie a strangeness because it's a defamiliarization in what is a, a very grounded movie to have this externalization of her internal struggle mm. in something that's so much more fantastic than the rest of the movie can throw people. But it did feel to me like that's sort of what it was getting at. Um, especially with the finally the embrace at the end. Mm -hmm. So we have the idea that she's watching the camera footage from the trip on her birthday really reflecting on that day the implications of that day the memory of it all and as she's watching it we're witnessing this emotional journey she's going on to have this understanding and this catharsis and this connection with him that she kind of hopefully has at the end it does mm. at least to me seem like she's in a place of what's the word gratitude yeah at the end for the time that she had with him yeah and that way it really makes me realize how much of the movie is meta because she's i mean any movie using cameras like feels meta i guess yeah but in this movie it, it literally starts with her looking at footage and you see her reflection in the tv as she's looking at the footage 
and then like the, the footage warps and it kind of flows into the the movie and then all of a sudden we're watching a movie we're watching footage of this trip she took of her dad so suddenly it goes from like this camera this uh low quality footage to like real footage like we're seeing it yet at the same time like we're not seeing it we're seeing what director charlotte wells like remembers of it <laughs> like we're seeing how she's now going to depict things she captures all these moments of Callum that she did not see yeah. moments where he's like alone and crying and like doesn't know how to express himself suddenly we're watching a movie of her processing this information and then cutting back to the real footage it's like oh wait like it's more than that like it's real like this did actually happen and there are things she can see and use to piece together other things she didn't see um so in that way it's just a really cool uh I don't know if we've talked about any meta movies on the podcast yet, but like I've written about them a ton for the website. I love people like Jafar Panahi, uh, Brian De Palma does this kind of stuff. Like I love when movies get meta. And I would say as an aficionado of meta movies, like this is a very unique way to do one. If debit is your go-to card, discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out discover Cashback debit, a game changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Yeah, that mixture, because we know that it's, the footage is mixing with her memory. So we're getting not only the footage as a very literal thing, but the footage mm -hmm. also being representative of her memory. So then when the movie comes in, it's at once the memories of what happened, but also not. it's the authorial perspective, the omniscient yeah. perspective that she could it possibly have. So there's a degree of subjectivity without it becoming truly subjective in the way that, you know, Tar has subjective scenes, Oppenheimer has subjective scenes, uh, <laughs> a more traditional mm -hmm. like Fight Club, right, or American Psycho. Uh, but you're not getting quite that degree of subjectivity where like the scene of him crying is something that she's just making up in her mind. Yeah. It, it definitely happened. She wasn't privy to it. She doesn't have a memory of it necessarily, but we know that it's kind of tying in with the emotional memory that she's having. So there's just a lot of layers to what that's saying about memory, about video cameras, about the, the act of making a movie based on something like this, it's in some ways similar to not to keep coming back to past lives, but that opening scene of past lives where you start from the perspective of the other people at the bar looking at mm -hmm. uh, the main trio 
being on the outside and you get that direct eye contact. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's cool to have these very different filmmakers finding ways in which to address the meta aspects of what they're making and having that idea of you know, bringing in the the vision and the perspective and the different points of view of the camera, the characters, and how that all adds these unique layers to the films. Yeah. I mean, as you say that, you're making me realize that, and I was just sitting here looking at it, I was like, I wonder how old Charlotte Wells is. She's my age, <laughs> exactly my age. And last time we were talking about past lives and I'm like, man, this movie, like, I feel like it speaks exactly to 35 year olds my age. How old is Celine Song? 35 years old. Like, A24 must have some research on me <laughs> and my fellow companions. Like, And they know the kinds of things we're going through. And they know the kinds of things that these film. I don't really think that. But it's just interesting that these filmmakers who are my age are exploring these, these things and these ideas in a very unique and interesting way. Like, it, it really feels like A24 is allowing them to do things in a different and creative way like this isn't the most uh inviting way to make a movie necessarily like having these meta aspects or in past lives like just sitting in conversation but it's also completely different and um inventive way to bring the viewer into an idea that's what i really love about after sun um, and past lives as well. It's like it's a, it's really exploring like a specific crossroads in life. So with past lives, it's having to reckon with the fact that you made decisions and you can't go back in time and you can't romanticize what could have been. Like you have to live the life you're living. And after Sun is like kind of approaching that crossroads where she's she's really thinking about like this trip on her birthday uh, with her own family in tow like she has to come to terms with that trip and what was happening with her dad and accept that there are things that can't be answered um i think all this stuff just really speaks to a lot of stuff you start thinking about when you're this age <laughs> like i i'm thinking of when sophie's lying in bed and saying to her dad like you ever get to the end of a day and you just like oh like your bones feel heavy and like you can't move and Calm sitting there just like, yeah, kid, like you have no idea how much I understand that. <laughs> um, like, that's how I feel. Like, I, I was like, yeah, that's just something you got to get used to. And you got to understand that they're just like, it, it. it's an interesting dynamic because this movie, I'm sure we'll talk about it, like age is such a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, and this idea of Sophie, you know, she's young and the world is so big and she's getting old and getting old feels like so huge and like forever. So all she does is have questions about everything. But Colin, like he's 30 something. He's, he's about to be 31 in the movie and life feels suffocating. You know, life feels like it's dragging on and he has less questions about life and is more just like tired of the questions. <laughs> and that's just like that specific feeling. is just something I think, perfectly captures people of our age like something you start to realize about life and start to feel and i just think that's an incredible thing to, to capture in this medium yeah one thousand percent and especially some of the what's curious is that it's not just the father-daughter experience but we see 
a little bit of the twist in that initially Sophie is so curious about boys. Uh, only right. later when we see adult her that she's in a very different relationship, like with a woman and has a kid with her. And you're like, oh, there's a change that happened at some point in her life. And we're just seeing some of the early stages of a curiosity and like a blossoming sexuality. And just because that's what was going on then doesn't necessarily mean that her life isn't going to evolve in different ways. And it's curious to see the, the seeds of that being planted and seeing where it, where it goes. Mm. I thought that was a really like nice twist in a way. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I like the sentiment attached to that specific bit of exploration because I think when you reflect on something on an experience that was this transformative, like thinking about the last time you saw your dad, I think it's inevitable to, as you're reflecting on the specific memory, you think about everything that was happening, which is what this movie's doing, every little thing. And in that way, the the experience becomes even more transformative because you, you remember like, it's the first time you were exposed to gay love. <laughs> it's the first time you saw this or that, like it's it. And in that way, it has an even more profound effect on you. And, and cuts your innocence maybe a little more quickly. Like it really exposes you to something and becomes even more transforming. I just think that's a cool idea that because she's forced to reflect on this experience, she reflects on these things that are very much a part of her now in a way that you never would. Like things that reshape you happen all the time, but like they just go by and you probably don't even notice it. But in this instance, like you, you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating coming of age story as both like a a young girl or a young person uh, like eleven years old, right? And then a coming of age story in your thirties. I feel like every decade has its yeah. own coming of age component to it, totally. where you realize this is what this decade is. And I feel like most movies tend to be about one period of that. So you have the the teenager coming of age story. You have the twenty something coming of age story. You have the thirty something coming of age story. Uh, Vanilla Sky strikes me as kind of the <laughs> the twenties, like third, like early thirties coming mm-hmm. of age story. Same with American Psycho <laughs> in some ways. Um, Fight Club as well as that twenty to thirty uh, coming of age story. But to have both done in one movie uh, right. through the same character is kind of fascinating yeah um, yeah i also i like how the club scene is handled like the the existential rave because i think it we get the idea that calum or callum loved dancing right mm-hmm. and you can kind of maybe just make the attachment to the the rave to her knowing that her dad liked to dance but I think it also, there's a little bit of um, the intimation I got or the subtext that I took away was that Sophie had started to understand that her dad was so tired on that trip because he was going out at night. That was one of the reasons why he was so tired all the time hmm. was that they would go back to the room, she would go to bed, and he would go out and continue to drink party dance or do whatever like 
there was something more he was up to that she wasn't privy to at the time. And the first time she realized that maybe something more was going on was when she stayed out later. And when she came back to the room, uh, she couldn't get in. And we know that he went out. We don't see what he did aside from when he went to the beach and jumped in the water. Uh, and the implications of that were yeah. just... Uh, the the way that the wave the sound of the waves intensified in that scene and just became completely crashing was mm. so well done but i feel like the there's maybe a little bit of a connection to the fact that he was still trying to party still trying to like go do something like stuff and that's why she maybe thinks about the afterlife for him being this rave because it was this idea right. of what he was going and doing that she wasn't privy to at all and had no concept of yeah yeah you mentioned a couple of things that i want to touch on first of all like i don't know if we mentioned this in the past lives episode but part of what makes the whole exploration of thinking about the past and what your life could have been like that's inherently that is something that speaks to people our age uh i guess it, it could speak to anybody anybody any age um i'm just thinking that like i know it's something i've definitely gone through at this age and it's something i was really reflecting on thinking about the filmmaker being the same age as me um but it was especially interesting that it was an immigration story as well so it puts a unique perspective on it it really it's just something i i love about a24 is that they are really giving a voice to people that are taking these classic storylines and ideas and bringing in a new perspective to them. Like it, it really does make me realize how much I've seen the same kind of story done by a white dude. <laughs> like all my favorite filmmakers are white dudes and I've watched a lot of movies because like, you know, that's all who can make movies for a long time. And like, these are the kinds of people that explored these subjects. And it's why I think past lives and after sun feel so unique and refreshing is that, it brings a little twist to it. Like, so immigration being part of thinking about your past and wanting to move on from like who you were in literally another place where the rules were different and things were different to like who you are now. And then here, a, a gay perspective, thinking about your past and like what shaped you and what helped you move along more quickly, what, what comforted you when you were trying to figure life out. Like, there's just these really interesting perspectives to bring to this material that I, you know, as I'm watching it, like I, I feel like I'm just learning so much more about people and, and ways of handling this kind of existential trauma that people have, you know? Yeah. It's refreshing. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, just even thinking about Barbie as another of yeah, the big sure. movies, like Barbie and bottoms. Uh, this is what four podcast episodes in a row that we've covered from female filmmakers yeah. this year. And all the movies are so unique, so good, so interesting and so refreshing. Mm -hmm. I had a thought about that. That's so cool. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that either. Um, you know what movie this also reminded me of in some ways, even though it's a little more positive, <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, but just from the young, uh, young character kind of wrestling with their like 
reaching puberty and sexuality and looking to an older family figure and trying to come to terms with what they're seeing from that uh fat girl oh yeah wow, i gotta watch that again which i'm just now realizing that the french titles to my sister uh, which yeah. is insane like why is it called how did it go from like to my sister to fat girl that's that is odd that's so much <laughs> like what uh weird, i guess weird american marketing i guess yeah in english-speaking countries it says the alternative titles were for my sister and story of a whale wow huh. um but Catherine berlott that's how you say berlott yeah. right um ah, this came out on my birthday in berlin <laughs> that's such an interesting movie of this younger girl who has a slightly older like pretty sister who is sexually active and the younger sister trying to process what that means for right. her and her emotions around it and it's very observational and thoughtful not just about coming of age but what does it mean to be like a, a, a teenage girl which is mm -hmm. also contrasted with the story of the mom and if i remember the mom having kind of a difficult time um and you get kind of three eras of the female experience and <sighs> what that's saying about the experience uh, with such a dramatic ending. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the most shocking twist endings of any movie I've ever watched. I don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't watched it, but it's just one of those movies that stuck with me for so long. And I always think I have, will I ever see another movie like it? And I feel after sun, while it doesn't go off in the direction that, uh, I'm just going to call it to my sister does <laughs> from now on. Um, I, there is something similar about Sophie's curiosity and perspective and the way in which she's observing her father and learning from him, but also breaking away from him and uh, observing other people her age and slightly older. I really love that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, and none of that would really work unless, again, you feel very part of the environment. It, it's interesting because, you know, we talked about past lives and past lives is very intimate. You constantly feel like you're creeping around the corner and like staring at these two people and you shouldn't be hearing this conversation. Like it kind of has that that energy that you're there where after sun, while intimate and like while you're in it, like it's maybe it's just like the outdoor setting of the movie and the use of sound. That's one thing I wanted to note that you mentioned, like the, the waves crashing it. It's such an interesting take on sound throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, they such careful thought was clearly put into that and like what you're hearing while things are happening because like, you know, you get to this wonderful place. It's supposed to be, be vacation, birds chirping, wind flowing through trees and that's all those sounds are happening in very prominent and just like normal moments. 
But then you can also very heavily hear that stuff during the very emotionally trying moments, like when Colm's crying in bed, to have like those sounds kind of like overpowering what he his crying. It's just such a, a such an interesting way to approach sound. Um, and in that way, you constantly feel so present in this place. Mm. Um, even though I, I think it's interesting that because something like past lives were like we're always like with them and so close and it feels small after sun feels big it feels vast in a lot of empty space um it's a it's an interesting tension there that's created that like you feel part of it yet you feel distant from them at the same time yeah that space does the the ways in which it plays with distance like the scene that jumps to mind is when you have Sophie singing happy birthday to Callum or not happy birthday, but for he's a jolly good fellow, Um, which, which is how they roll in uh, the United Kingdom, I believe. Yeah. I had no idea. (laughs) It took me by surprise. I guess what this was also supposed to be like the early nineties. Yeah, for sure. Um, So maybe happy birthday. I don't know, but it's, uh, there's that distance in just like not just the father and daughter in that moment literally as he's climbing up and she's staying down and doing this nice thing but that creates that sense of distance between them between the viewer we don't really see his reaction in that moment we just get kind of that distant shot of him and we don't really see her reaction to his and then you cut to him crying yeah and that's just so well done that that sense of space and distance which is then juxtaposed with the moments where you know they're holding hands or she has her head on his shoulder and the camera is it afraid to zoom in on those moments or be closer in those moments to really Mm -hmm. highlight the intimacy but that dynamic range that comes in visually is so good and something that i think is missing a weird comparison but i get so annoyed at the lord of the rings movies (laughs) because i feel like we don't get enough of that dynamic range that it's too steeped in the medium shot consistently that i don't get the sense of place or presence in a scene that i would like yeah yeah i mean you're totally right that is very purposely done in this movie and it's very important for again you're noting just the the inherent tension that comes with having both of those senses of space at play it really speaks to the fact that like even when like we're in these intimate moments where um sophie's able to look back and remember something like very specific with her dad this closeness there are just as many moments where like there's distance and like you don't understand things like when Colin's standing up on that ledge and watching these people seeing he's a jolly good fellow to him like and he's just taking it in she's able to then think like well he probably went on the inside he was crying he wanted to cry like and that's why we cross cut between that and him crying it's um yeah that 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 birthday song scene is it it makes me think like right before that he was doing meditation or he's doing uh, tai chi with sophie you know, he's, he's doing meditation and Tai Chi's. It's just all about kind of pushing reality away and like focusing on the moment. It, it, it seems he is desperate to do that, to forget that he's aging, that he's just consumed by life 
and is having trouble dealing with it. And moments like that where he he's people are singing happy birthday to him he's exposed you know it's the opposite of what he wants he doesn't want to get on stage and sing karaoke and sophie doesn't realize any of these things until later in life when she understands that like yeah sometimes you don't want to be the center of attention and you would you need some time alone and all that yeah it's so brutal because he talked about how unseen it seemed he was as a kid like with Mm. people forgetting his birthday his parents specifically forgetting his birthday Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then like going to get a toy you could tell that there's just like degrees of shame and guilt that he's feeling one from just his childhood it seemed uh but also with maybe issues with her mom or just not being able to have created that traditional family that she would have liked and then not able to be around her all the time and then also not having money to provide for everything so everything's just a little bit lower in quality and experience than what he would want to give there's this sense of guilt that's been building up over time especially with getting her locked out of the hotel room because he went to go party Um, and the guilt that he's feeling from that and then to have her get everybody to sing happy birthday and to have this like his child who loves him so much and wants to make him happy when you feel like you haven't had that from anybody in your life right. and you feel alone you feel depression you feel guilt instead of feeling grateful for that he just feels even shittier like he had failed her does it deserve her it's so crushing because she's just trying to do something to make him happy and it works but also because of what he's dealing with it just exacerbates everything yeah yeah i mean it really just speaks to like how fucking hard it is to talk about shit (laughs) yeah that is something you realize you know i i i did just finish up doing therapy for a couple years and it was the first time i talked about so many things um it's he he's definitely in a state that i totally understand where things are happening you keep marching forward you keep like getting through the day like maybe not even thinking about how bad things are or just hoping things get better um but at some point it all falls on you and you realize like shit is not good and that you need to do something to fix it being stuck in that state until then and when you just feel overwhelmed like it's it's heavy like it i think this movie just the general mood and feel and tenor of it like captures that feeling and captures that feeling in a moment where when sophie grows up and i I assume this is charlotte wells kind of coming through the screen at that moment like this is you feeling that like and you having to deal with it and make sense of it all finally it's uh you really you just don't know what to do really (laughs) yeah how do you how do you deconstruct all of that and how do you internalize it or externalize it or be okay with it and move past it? Can you move past it? Should yeah. you move past it? That's the great thing about the movie is like there, there actually is not an answer to that question, really. <laughs> like you're going to think there, you're going to have different answers to the same questions all the time. You're going to feel 
differently. You're going to suddenly be overtaken by something you thought you had recovered from. It's just how life works. And I, I find it very refreshing in that way that the movie doesn't have answers and doesn't feel the need to give answers. And instead kind of steeps in the reality that like life's hard and you just have to keep marching forward as you slowly figure things out. Very much so. And it's like, it's such a, a brutal like love letter to those who can't and such a wonderful statement to those who do. It's a, a wonder for a movie to be able to walk that line. Yeah. It's making me tear up thinking about it. <laughs> um, so I really, I get why this movie has resonated with so many people either because they've been Sophie or they've been Callum or both. Right. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to have something like this conveyed through art that doesn't just turn it into melodrama, but that's mature enough, thoughtful enough, artistic enough to say so much without making a definitive statement that maybe reduces the actual conversation. It would totally reduce it. I agree. Mm. The one other little subtle thing that I really loved about the movie was the use of music as you got me, Chris, I was ready to talk about this. (laughs) It, I mean, especially like losing my religion. There are things that are said in the lyrics. I should have written them down, but the lyrics apply to Callum in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then with under pressure specifically as well, there are things that are expressed in that, especially just the idea of like Callum is feeling pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that with the the rug as well. He spends that $850 on the rug to feel like he can, to like have this thing because... Uh, sometimes you just make the irrational decision hoping (laughs) that it'll work out but you just know that that's going to put even more of a financial crunch on him which is just going to add to the pressure he's feeling so like the use of music is something that I think even if people are giving this movie like a very thoughtful look on first watch when you go back really pay attention to the use of song lyrics yeah I I mean I because I wrote the movie guide for this, I know I read about um people asking Charlotte Wells about losing my religion and about under pressure and like why she chose those songs. Because you're totally right, like people, including myself, <laughs> dig into the lyrics and like, oh, what connections can be made. And the refreshing thing is that she you know, she says, I didn't even think about using under pressure when I picked it. You know, there there was no real reason. I just knew it had to be the song. And I think that speaks to the inherent power of the movie that, of course, there's probably some subconscious reason she picks under pressure. And of course, yeah. it applies to the scene, but it also doesn't need to apply to the scene. Um, the fact that it just works well aesthetically really brings out the power of the scene and in this moment where she's like remembering somebody who's not there anymore and she wishes she could reach through and make this connection but can't like 
that song's all conveying those emotions. Losing My Religion is like definitely conveying a lot of stuff Callum couldn't say to her. Um, it's just inherent and that those kinds of songs, you, you know, they, they just work when the the vision for the movie is intact and and everything's clicking and and it fits into the scene because you've set up this and that and it pays off in this way from what you're going to learn. It's It just goes to show you how well the movie is put together. Really, it really does. I, I'm laughing. I was laughing at the idea of like Charlotte Wells being like, oh, I hadn't thought about it when it's like specifically the lyrics about like, this is our last dance. Yeah. When we're seeing them dancing. It's like, well, you thought about it a little bit. Like, yeah, right. A, it wasn't just a coincidence that you had. This is our last That's dance. That's what she says going on but the larger implications of under pressure i'm sure but as you said it's one of my favorite topics the uh authorial intent and death of the author dynamics and yeah. how heated people get either way oh, yeah I, i'm like, well aware yeah some people really love like authorial intent and other people mm -hmm. are just like complete death of the author it doesn't matter what they say i tend to fall into both like, I think it can be helpful to have an idea of what they were going for and what they're saying. Like, when we uh, did our piece on The Wailing, we did a podcast on The Wailing? Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. Um, I don't think we talked about the origin of the movie in that, or did the quotes of the origin of the movie. But uh, the director had lost... Uh, a few close friends through like tragic circumstances. Mm. They weren't like just natural causes. Yeah. And that made him start reflecting, especially as somebody who is religious on why this would happen. Like, what is it that these larger forces are trying to say or do to take the lives of these people that you care about? And he translated that into the wailing. And you can see how that does set up, uh, the larger like forces that are at play in that movie that are beyond uh, the understanding of humans, which is cool. But without the authorial like intent there, you may not necessarily get that, but you also do get that if you just analyze the right. movies. So it's, it's a very fascinating conversation for me all the time. So I'm glad that there's Charlotte Wells talking about it because I haven't gotten to dive into it yet. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, people do get heated. It's, you know, it, it's, I agree with you. It's good to have both. I, I think about the fact that, you know, all of our articles on our site are labeled with the definitive explanation and that conveys this idea that this is, this is it. Like, this is how you understand the movie. That's not really true. I mean, we put that title on there because we are trying to be that we're trying to give you as much information as we can to be, to be like, all right, like, here's how you could think of the movie. Here's like all these pieces that worked well together. This is what the movie's trying to say. But from there, there are a million conversations you can have about a movie. You know, somebody with a very specific experience could take something completely different away from a movie. Um, and that's really the, beauty of having these conversations and and becoming part of these articles that we write like commenting and just keeping it open-ended that okay yeah like this might have been done for this reason but that's not the end of the story like we can go on from there in so many different directions 
Oh, yeah, 1,000. Especially when you just start putting things into frames. Like, as much as we want to say, like, oh, this is the definitive. You can always just be like, oh, how how do I analyze this movie in terms of, you know, childhood? And just saying that, even if it's about something like a movie is not related to childhood, like, uh-huh. I don't know, uh, Full Metal Jacket. You know, there's still frames that you can put on a movie and look at it through that open up new levels of conversation and discussion. I mean, that was something that happened with Fight Club in recent years, especially in like the the 2010s, people have started putting it through different social lenses and conversation points. They go beyond just the male experience of the movie. Right. And looking at it from those other angles and discussion points, and it completely opens it up from whatever the film's initially doing to just the way that we do with art like every every work can be put in different contexts like you could look at frankenstein the original frankenstein book and put it in the context of post atomic age uh Mm -hmm. science concerns you could put it into like sexuality concerns you can put it into like economic concerns like you can reframe it in all these different ways that's the beauty of arts but then there's also some of the more like core definitive conversation points yeah yeah we like both we like both can't we like both yeah give us a break (laughs) uh anything like any any scene that you loved anything that you didn't like um I loved the music. I loved hearing Chumbawamba. I loved hearing the Macarena. Really took me back. <laughs> um, yeah, this and Bottoms. That's two movies in a row. I'm like, man, the music is just kick ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was, I mean, there's just a lot that I love in this movie. I, I, I think the scene where Sophie's laying in bed and telling her dad about her bones feeling heavy and all that, like that scene just hit me a lot more than it did before. I don't know why it didn't stick out in my memory last time, but now it's the one I, I can't, can't stop thinking about. Nice. How about you? I, I really like the subtle ways that the movie explores Callum's hypocrisy. I thought that Mm. was kind of interesting. Like he makes Sophie do water polo. He makes Sophie, you know, Uh, dance when she doesn't want to but when she tries to do the same thing and bring the same energy with getting him to come in karaoke he won't do it yeah and there's just like the little ways in which he's wonderful but also hypocritical or negative and that the movie manages to have those pros and cons all wrapped up in very nuanced subtle ways with the character it really adds just a a dimensionality to it that i really loved especially when you know that sophie's putting it together so many years later like yeah my dad probably didn't want to sing this specific song in front of a bunch of people he doesn't know (laughs) yeah uh and what was the i really like just a small moment but uh where he has the washcloth over his face Mm-hmm. And it's such a uh, an intense close up 
that you can't really make out what's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's just from the fabric going in and out and the sound of the breath uh, so loud that really tells you, okay, I think this is someone with a washcloth over their face. (laughs) It did look bizarre. Like it, it felt like a horror movie for a second. Yeah. Oh, ranking. Ranking. I forgot about that. Yeah, let's do it. So we rank every movie we watch starting in... uh, My list goes a little further back, starting at the beginning of 2022. Chris's was started around like June or July. July, yeah. You think I would remember it by now? (laughs) Um, Getting close. So my list is a little bit longer. I also have no life and watch a lot more movies. So my list right now is up to 448 movies. And I have After Sun at number 153. So top third. Okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's a movie I really like. Um, I have a lot of strong connections to it. I think maybe the only thing, not to compare it, keep comparing it to past lives, because like, why? I don't know why I would even compare it to past lives. But thinking of past lives, I think one thing that I like about that kind of movie more. I really like being in it with the character. I like that sense of, um, I guess I don't know how to describe it. It it feels so assured and realized in a way. I I guess maybe this is the way I can put it. I like when my hand's held in a movie. (laughs) Like I kind (laughs) of like that feeling. I like being intimate and being there with people where after sun, while I really enjoy it and I loved writing about it and piecing it together, like it's not exactly like my favorite kind of movie. Um, <laughs> again, making me sound stupid. I don't necessarily want to have to do a lot of work to like a movie. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily true about this movie. I, th- I think a lot of it works by having to do work, which is why I have it, I think, pretty high on my list. Um, it's, it's up there with movies I love. Um, but it, I just, I don't have that kind of connection I have with it like I would of something like Past Lives. Yeah, I get that. Um, I have it. I'm not sure of the placement currently. I might adjust it up. Actually, I have it at 36 right now. Um, it's in my like tier three category. Uh, okay, impressive. So, Out of how many movies? Oh, uh, 157. Okay, so top like fifth, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's up there. I have it weirdly placed between Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. But below, like, I have it currently below Drive and Knives Out, which I don't know if that's going to stick. Like, I could see it going above both. Drive is just a little more, like, thrilling uh-huh. to me, but I could see the emotionality of After Sun... Uh, winning out and Knives Out it's something where maybe the entertainment value like I think After Sun is a is a better movie but in terms of just like entertainment value on rewatch like I think I might opt to rewatch Knives Out a little more often than After Sun hmm do you want to hear my After Sun sandwich yeah alright so on top the top bun the sesame bun is licorice pizza. <laughs> um, then, that. then the cheese that would be on the burger that is after sun or tofu, whatever you put on your sandwich is fine. Um, 
Frenzy, the uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I think it was the second to last movie he made. He got really crazy of that one. He, he had like brutal murders in that one in a way that, you know, and people in his movies, like as an old timey movies, like you never saw them die. <laughs> you know, they would like die off screen or like it would be so G rated or something. <laughs> he gets really crazy in Frenzy. Um, and then below After Sun, I don't know, on a sandwich, like on a burger, do you, I'm the kind of person that puts all of the like lettuce, tomato, condiments, I put it below the burger. Do you do that? Uh, no, I do them all above the burger. All above. Yeah, I used to yeah. do that. But then like I, I saw somebody do it another way once and I started doing it. I was like, oh, this is the way to do it. <laughs> anyway, there I have Megan. Um, yeah, or M3kin, whatever you choose to call it. M3kin. <laughs> it followed by Mamma Mia, here we go again. Uh, wow, that is... <laughs> I, I can't tell if that's more bizarre than the ones I have in between or not. <laughs> it is a pretty weird look. I get, that's a pretty good representation of my movie taste, though. Yo, my, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Those are all so different. Very much so. Wow. Okay. Well, after Sun, I, I'm like very excited to see what Charlotte Wells does next. Oh, yeah, for sure. I will be there opening weekend. And Paul Mescal. I mean, that guy's about ready to blow up. Yeah, he uh, he crushed it. He's great. Like, that was everybody's very... great in this movie. What does he have coming up? God's creatures, Carmen, Gladiator, all of us strangers. Oh yeah, he was casting Gladiator. Can't wait. That's right. And then Foe is that one I'm interested yeah. in? That's uh, yes. Sir Sharonin. Yeah. Okay, that'll be cool. And yeah. then what's Frankie doing? I don't know. She. She is great, though. I, I really not easy to do, but like just captured how a kid talks. Yeah. <laughs> like just kind of babbling, you know, and like thinking they're saying something smart when they aren't. Yeah. There were some moments where I was just like, how do you act that? I, I completely agree. I was, I was very impressed. <laughs> uh, she's starring in a movie called The Bagman, where she plays Emily. And okay. that's in post production. I wonder if so. it's a sequel to uh, the Friday the 13th movies because I don't know if you've ever seen them, Chris, but in the second movie, the killer wears a bag over his head. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> Doesn't get the mask until I think the third movie. I need to watch all of those. I don't think I've ever watched a full Jason <sighs> movie. You should watch the first one for sure. The first one's awesome. Yeah, I remember people talking about it. It was always one of those like things in high school and college. People were like, do you know who the killer is in the first Jason movie? Because <laughs> the killer does change in the movies. Yeah. Uh, the Bagman, do you want to hear the description? Uh, pff, yeah. Patrick fights his deepest fear when a sinister threat from his childhood returns to haunt him. <laughs> so, is maybe. Is this threat's named Jason? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay we're ready to wrap it up on set right yeah 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 what, all right uh, what are we doing next oh yeah i, I do and we're we're sure of this this time i think we're doing donnie darko, darko next yeah we've just talked about it for a month now i think it's next <laughs> and i just watched it so we have to okay beautiful then <laughs> donnie darko it is all right uh so everybody we're gonna get ready to go home uh lights camera See ya. See ya. <laughs> I almost said action. <laughs> I had to take what? a second. 
one of these days we'll be on time. <laughs> <laughs>